G'day everybody, welcome to the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health for you, your family and our community. My name is Gareth Olver. Thank you for joining me again for another week and for another podcast. And this week I'm speaking with Tom Simonson, who is the CEO of the Victorian Healthcare Association. Uh, now Tom and I speak a bit about the role of community health, especially in regional areas and during the covid situations and the on-again, off-again lockdowns of the past two years, and also a bit about healthcare in general. And it's a really great chat. Now, Tom can also explain a bit more about what the VHA actually is and what his role is, and you'll hear him talk about that in the podcast. Really interesting to sit down and have a talk to Tom, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. This is the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, proudly brought to you by Grandpa's Community Health, for you, your family, and of course, for our community. I'm joined this week by Tom Simonson, who is the CEO of the Victorian Healthcare Association. Tom, I know you're a very busy man, so I really appreciate you giving up some time to come on the Community Is Our Middle Name podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm really glad to be here. Tom, can you just give us a bit of an overall view for anyone who may not necessarily know much about the, the VHA? What is the VHA and, and what's, your, what, what's the main function of your role as CEO with the VHA? So we are... Um, the, the peak body, they call us, the Industry Association for the Public Hospitals and the Community Health Services across Victoria. So they're all members of ours and we advocate for them. We advocate to government for better conditions, for more funding, um, so that our members can do more for the Victorian community. They already do a great job, but everybody who knows anything about health knows that we're always pressed for funding. We're always pressed for resources. Uh, having you know been through COVID, that's become even worse. And so we work with our members and with government to make sure that um, the health sector has everything that it could possibly need um, and that our workers are supported. And ultimately, it's so that we can provide better services to the community because that's why we're all here. And, and my role, I lead the organisation. I'm the kind of the, the public face. I do um, uh, the, the kind of the advocacy outwards. Um, and I have a great team around me that supports me in that and uh, develops policy and um, uh, works with media and um, that we provide training and all sorts of things that we do for members. So that's that's what we do. How many members uh, have you got, Tom, in the, in the VHA? There's about 120. So we've got every community health service in the state. There's about 27 of those uh, and we've got uh, most of the hospitals and we've got some of the um, uh, bush nursing services and um, the royal flying doctors and uh, people like that the ambulance service um, metro hospitals rural hospitals all over the place so you cover a pretty broad spectrum don't you from uh when i spoke uh a few weeks ago with with our ceo uh, greg little we talked about community service in particular, community health, sorry, um, can be cradle to the grave type stuff. And, and you guys are also covering a really large area, not just in lifespan, but also um, I would imagine bush nursing centres would be much different to metro hospitals. Yeah, it's a, it's what we call a, we, we, we call it a kind of a broad church um, and it, it is very different. So 
you've got Corion or you've got kind of Orbost or you've got, you know, Bort. You've got all of these places across the state that have health services of one kind or another. Every community in Victoria has something publicly funded um, to care for that community's health. And most of those organisations are members of ours. And that's why we, we, we find the silver thread. So they've all got that in common. Whatever the organization's name or type or how it came about or how old it is, every single one of them is there to provide health care for its community. They might do it in different ways. You know, community health will will do it, uh, as you say, kind of in this broad way or provide all sorts of different services for people um, throughout their lives. Um, hospitals, obviously, more bed based. Uh, I mean, we've got hospitals like the Royal Melbourne, we've got the Alfred, we've got the Children's, you know, providing really high end complex surgery. Um, but that doesn't make it any more important than what a community health service in a rural community does for the person who's getting that surgery. They need those things as well. So we, we, we do, we represent people who provide that health care for our community, as you say, from cradle to grave and in every single corner of the state. And that's what we try and hang on to, because whilst everyone's specific challenges might be a bit different, everybody's on the same page and everybody's trying to do the same kind of ultimately the same thing and make our community healthy. Tom, can you talk a bit about community health? Um, what's the role of community health in organisation? communities, especially in smaller communities like places such as a stall or Ararat, for example, what do you see as the role of community health in regional areas in particular? Well, community health provides a type of support that doesn't really exist in the same way in other states across Australia. We have this fantastic community health system in Victoria that for some reason lost in history all of the other states which used to have it kind of let it go away. Um, it, it, in Victoria, we managed over 50 years, because community health's been around since the 70s, we managed to hold on to it and not just hold on to it, but strengthen it and make it better and better and better. And so what you see in uh, rural communities is an organisation that can provide all of the support, support people need across health, disability services, mental health services, alcohol and drug services, um, provide support to Aboriginal communities, um, all in one organisation. Now, in most states, you'd find all of those things done by different organisations. And if you're lucky, they'll work together. But in our state, whilst we have organisations that do those things separately, we also have community health delivering all of them under the same roof. So if you live in Ararat or Stall, or any community in Victoria that has a community health service, you can go to one place and all of your needs can be provided for. And we think that's a fantastic thing. I mean, it's it's just sad that not everybody in Australia can enjoy the same the same benefit and the same access. Um, but but you know, everywhere you go that has a community health service, particularly rural, it's much stronger in rural than it is in in, in our big cities. Um, but they have a connection to the community health service. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows what it does. And everybody has a story about having interacted with it. So I, I think I think they are what we describe them as is the glue that holds our whole health system together. Yeah, and I think the community part is a, is a big part of community health. I'm, 
I know uh, one of the things that, that we try and do here at Grampians Community Health is to really be part of our communities that we serve across the Grampians and, and the Wimmera. And I, Tom, that's probably the same across the state, I would imagine. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and you know, community health is built out of uh, partnership, out of relationships, whether it's with the community or with other health organisations. So, you know, a community health service isn't going to able to be, be able to be successful if it doesn't have good relationships with GPs, if it doesn't have good relationships with the local hospitals. Um, with the other community services, the specialist services, family violence services, whatever it happens to be. So they're built out of this idea of being good partners. And that applies just as much to those other services as it does to the community. And if you aren't good at being a partner, you as a community health service may as, may as well shut the doors. That's the whole point. It's your podcast is is right. Community is our middle name. Um, that that if that if it isn't for that, then you're just a you're just another organisation fighting for oxygen. So that that partnership piece is incredibly important. Obviously, the last couple of years have been really challenging for everyone. Um, health services in particular, and we might later on, we might touch on, on the broader effects of COVID on the health system. But for now, we might just focus on community health in your role as a CEO of the Victorian Healthcare Association. What challenges challenges did you see community health sectors, not necessarily talking about Grampians Community Health, but across the state having during COVID and, and you know, being in and out of lockdown and uh, you know the rules seeming to change from from week to week at, at one stage what were the challenges you think that were, were most prominent well and it's not even week to week we were seeing rules change five or six times a day um and uh, things like what kind of masks to wear how to wear them um you know when vaccines came out guidance on how to deliver them you know now we've got rapid antigen tests that we've got to you know have you know, uh, the rules were probably the biggest and the most obvious um, factor in the early days that kind of everybody getting their head around how to even operate during COVID, how to even run their organisations. We started very, very early. So right back in probably maybe not March 2020, maybe April, but we started coordinating meetings for the community health services across the state every week to get everybody in a room to say what are we doing how are we responding to this getting people from the government into that room to tell them how the rules were changing what they needed to do it was like um coordinating some enormous um well it was it was felt a little bit like a war actually um and given what we're seeing in the ukraine in, in ukraine at the moment um i don't say that lightly uh, but it was incredibly stressful but huge amounts of activity, everybody getting together and trying to coordinate to work out what the hell we were going to do about this thing called COVID. Uh, a couple of months in, however, what we saw was community health was playing a role that I'm not sure anybody thought it would um, in responding to the pandemic. Community health services across the state were suddenly supporting people who had COVID. They were supporting people who were losing their jobs because COVID was forcing those businesses to shut down because of lockdowns. Uh, community health was working very closely with the acute hospitals, um, more so in, in Melbourne, but uh, increasingly in regional areas, uh, to help with public housing. So remember those awful stories uh, in the early days of the pandemic of shutting down public housing towers in, in a Melbourne. 
and locking everybody in because one person had COVID. And at that time, look how many, we've got 7,000 cases a day at the moment, but remember when one case was like a disaster um, and we were all terrified of, of anybody catching it, they shut down those public housing towers, locked in hundreds of people who, you know, may or may not have had a particularly good uh, relationship with authority and, and felt very victimized. And community health were the ones that went in and calmed everybody down and provided them with their services and gave them food and, um, you know, had translators in there because people weren't necessarily speaking English as a first language. Community is why I say community health is the glue. Now, could it, it couldn't have done it without the hospitals, but the hospitals couldn't have done it without them. And so the role they played during um, during COVID has been incredible. And I think we're still even now really kind of working through what what they've done and the benefits of that and how we can keep those benefits into the future. You touched on a good point there about, um, well, one, about how the rules are constantly changing as someone who was uh, live tweeting press conferences for Grandfitts Community Health. I can, I def they were definitely changing and changing quickly. Um, but you were right. Well, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, if we had, you know, multiple figure, oh, double figure cases, we were, we were in a panic. Now we're seeing, you know, thousands of cases and, you know, we're, we sort of almost some of us almost shrug our shoulders and say, oh, OK, well, it is what it is. But I think for us as an organisation now, because in those early days, we didn't see many of the cases in regional areas. So uh, for me in our rural city, I think for the first 18 months, there was one case in the whole local government area. I think it was similar Northern Grampians, Horsham, maybe more, but not much more. We're actually seeing now services such as uh, what we call the HIS program, which is the Home Isolation Support Service, um, are more in demand because more people are now having to isolate us. So that's something that you're seeing uh, across the state as well, that, that oh, more so much, I guess, in regional areas, that there's more demand now for these COVID services. Yeah, well, and for most of COVID, I lived in the first um, municipality outside Greater Melbourne, which was the Macedon Ranges. I lived in Wood End and it was a very different experience for me than it was for my colleagues who lived in Sunbury, for example, which is in Hume, which is in Greater Melbourne. Um, and certainly for the rest of you know my colleagues who are in the middle of Melbourne or across the suburbs, it was it was really very upsetting, actually, to see them be told they could only, I mean, there was a while when all of us could only go five miles from our house or five kilometres from our house, um, but that didn't last in rural areas, but it did in, in, in Melbourne. And so the experience of most of this pandemic was very, very different for those people living in Melbourne than it was for the rest of us. And occasionally, you know, there'd be a flare up in one of the regional cities and they'd get a lockdown, but then it would go away again. What that did was it, it, it made us complacent and uh, it made rural communities think that the pandemic was something that was happening to other people. And I know, and I can say that very confidently because I lived in a rural community and I thought that. And here I was, the CEO of the VHA, talking about this stuff all the time. And I still kind of had this in the back of my head. It's not really happening, is it? Because it wasn't happening in my town. Um, so we did see the first time that that boundary around Metro Melbourne came down and people were able to go on Week, long weekends and and go out to places like, you know, the Great Ocean Road and the Grampians region and um, out to Gippsland, we did see a lot of very frightened communities who just were suddenly like, oh, it's going to happen to us now. And, it, you know, it did a little bit. And that was when we were still, you know, afraid of 10 cases a day. Uh, but 
what we've now got is a kind of a leveling of the playing field. You are seeing higher cases across the whole state. So I now live in Greater Bendigo and we get 100 cases a day. That was more. That's more than we got in the whole state for most of the pandemic. So it's it, it is now affecting people wherever they live. But I don't think that's a terrible thing because actually we do have to learn to live with this. And so having it everywhere means we don't get complacent. We do focus on the kind of services that you, you're talking about uh, and we make this part of our lives because this thing's not going to just disappear. Maybe in you know a couple of years, nobody will have COVID anymore, but it feels like the kind of thing that we're going to be living with for, for from now on, like flu. Um, so those services just becoming a part of our lives is probably a good thing. I would agree with that. Um, and I can say from, from our experience, uh, the the school that my, my kids go to, once upon a time, if there was a COVID case at the school, the whole school would be shut down. Now we get a message from the school, uh, there's been a child in this class uh, who has contracted COVID. You get your rat tests, you test the kids. If they're fine, they're off to school the next day. And uh, you're right, we, we have learned to live with it. And I think the vaccination rate is a, a huge part of that. And uh, there was that complacency, I, I believe. I think a lot of people like you said, thought, well, it's, it's a Melbourne thing. It's not, we, we haven't had any cases here. Why are we locked down? We're now, we're now sort of seeing why when we weren't vaccinated that the lockdowns, as much as they were terrible and no one enjoyed them, were a bit of a necessary evil. So um, where, where do you see us going with, with COVID, Tom, uh, in into the future as we, we, we start going back to, to the football or we start going back to the movies or the theatre or concerts? Um, do you see anything much changing from what's happening now with uh, with the way we're dealing with COVID? Well, it's difficult to answer that question because in November, our office, the VHA's office is in the middle of Melbourne and we hadn't used it basically for two years. And then in November last year, when the, the restrictions came off and you didn't have to wear masks inside anymore, we started going back into our office and we thought at that time that that was the way things were going to stay and then this thing called omicron turned up and we closed our office again everybody put masks on inside again uh, hospitals had to ramp up in a way that they had never seen before certainly not during this pandemic but not in history um, you know, not Black Saturday, not, you know, anything, probably not even World War Two, to be frank. You know, we, 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 we had people on an absolute war footing when a month or two earlier we thought COVID was over. So it's difficult to answer. You know, people will say we never we must never go back into these kinds of restrictions again. And you think, yes, but what what if? So we do have to prepare for that. What if? But at the same time, we have to make sure that we're living our lives. We have to make sure that we're delivering health services to people who need them. You'd be appalled at just how many normal standard health services, cancer screenings, those kinds of things just haven't happened for the last two years, either because we couldn't provide them or because people just didn't turn up. You know, there were fewer people turning up and quite a lot fewer during uh, COVID with heart attacks and strokes. Now, we don't think they weren't having them, but they weren't turning up in emergency departments. So what, what was happening there? So we, we've actually got all of these people who are probably much less well, much sicker, you know, serious mental health issues that aren't diagnosed because they, you know, they haven't had access to services that we're now going to be dealing with 
for years. So it, whether it's COVID or this kind of tidal wave of people suddenly needing healthcare who didn't get it during the pandemic, it's difficult to know what it's going to look like. I don't think anything resembling what we would have called normal in 2019, we're never going to see that again, I don't think, certainly not in relation to health. But we'll adapt. We have adapted. We'll continue to adapt. So what will it look like into the future? Hopefully, we'll learn the good things from COVID. You know, things like telehealth, providing much more care um, virtually. So you don't have to turn up at the GP practice when they're available, but you've got childcare issues or a full-time job or, or you're too unwell to get there. Um, it, it happens over Teams or Zoom or the phone. So that's a really good thing that we've learned. The partnerships between our hospital system and our community health services, they've strengthened enormously. We want to keep that. So there's lots of things we want to keep, but it's really hard to predict. I suppose if I could, I'd be a rich man, wouldn't I? Absolutely. You could predict the tax lotto numbers as well. Yeah. Um, Tom, I, we might take a very short break. And we, after the break, we might talk a little bit more about uh, the health service in general. So uh, stick around and hear more from, from Tom Simonson, who is the CEO of the VHA. podcast is proudly brought to you by Grampians Community Health. Grampians Community Health provides a wide range of services across the western part of Victoria, servicing the following local government areas, Northern Grampians Shire, Our Rural City, Horsham Rural City, Pyrenees Shire, West Wimmera Shire, Hindmarsh Shire, Yarriambiac Shire, Central Goldfield Shire, Southern Grampians Shire and Bullock Shire Council Regions. Services available include alcohol and other drug support, carer support, community aged care and disability support, including NDIS support coordination and plan management, counselling across a wide range of sectors, including generalist counselling, gamble self-support, community mental health support, and much, much more. For more information, go to our website, which is gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday on 53587400. The Community is a Middle Name podcast. Brought to you by Grampians Community Health. For you, for your family, and most importantly, and above all else, for our community. Welcome back. Uh, I'm here with Tom Simonson, who is the CEO of the Victorian Healthcare Association, the VHA. Tom, we spoke before the break about community health. Let's talk a bit about the healthcare sector in general. There's a lot of talk in the media uh, not long ago, only a few weeks, month or so ago, about the Code Brown. Can you explain to people who don't necessarily know what that is, what a Code Brown is, and how that might affect people working in the healthcare sector? Well, the Code Brown, we have lots of codes in healthcare and they all mean something different. And most of them, you know, you use every day, uh, Code Grey, Code Red, Code Blue, um, you know, whether there's a bomb threat or a you know patient who's um, coding or whatever. The one we don't use very often at all is Brown. And a lot of people, not in the health system, in, in the health system, everybody knew what it was, but a lot of people had never heard of a Code Brown in this context before. And suddenly we were launching it across the, the the metro area and the big regional cities, not across the whole state, but most of the big cities. And what you usually 
have code browns for is a short-term emergency. So major traffic crash on a freeway where you're going to have to clear your emergency department of everybody else because you've got, you know, 20 people coming in with serious injuries. That's a code brown. Or where there's a bushfire. But if there's a bushfire, it's only for one or two services because they're generally, you know, even on Black Saturday, they're only in some parts of the state, not the whole state. This was the first time we'd ever had a code brown called by the government. Usually it's the hospitals that call it themselves by the government for the vast majority of our health system. And what it did was it allowed them to do things like cancel services with no notice. It allowed them to say the nurses working in this unit are now being moved without consultation to this unit because we're in an emergency, an absolute emergency. The other thing that was odd about this code brown is they usually last, you know, maybe a couple of hours, maybe a day, maybe two. This lasted for, I can't remember what it was now, but three weeks. So it's the absolute highest level of urgency and, and seriousness that a hospital can be at. And we did that. We did that for three weeks across, I don't know, what, 20, 30 hospitals across the state. Um, and it worked because we suddenly immediately saw fewer people turning up at emergency departments. We saw fewer people calling triple zero who didn't need to, because um, we had people calling triple zero because they wanted to find where the local rat test supply was. Or, you know, I'm, I, it, it, I'm sure there weren't that many of those, but we definitely had examples of people ringing up triple zero, pretending to have heart palpitations or chest pain so that someone would turn up and take them and get them a PCR test. Like that was an example that was put forward at, that happened at the Royal, uh, you know, somewhere somewhere near the Royal Melbourne. So the Code Brown was firstly it allowed hospitals to just, you know, fly into action in a way that normally is difficult uh, because you have to have consultation and things take time. We can't do that in an emergency. The other thing it did was it made the community, I think, sit up and listen. Oh, this really is bad. They're not just making it up. So it was a pretty frightening time. Um, but it did what it needed to do. It gave some of our health workers a bit of breathing space because they could stop doing the non-urgent care. Uh, it, and, and, it, and it really gave that message very clearly out to our community that, yes, it might feel a bit like it's returning to normal for you, but it's not returning to normal for us. And if you want us to be here to care for you when you are sick, you need to listen to that. So Tom, uh, just just on that, I know it's it's been a rough couple of years, but I, I've got uh, a couple of friends who are nurses, and, and I know that they've been under in, incredible strain, and that's that's regionally, that's not necessarily in in the the bigger centres. Um, how do you think that the the healthcare sector, and especially those at the coal face dealing with people, especially people coming in presenting with COVID, how do you think they've coped uh, over the last two years, and do you think and without getting too political here, because I don't want, we, we don't want to get too political, do you think there's been enough support for those frontline people, such as some of the nurses and, and doctors and ambulance workers who are the ones on the front line dealing with, with this that people like myself who sit at a computer all day don't necessarily see? Well, and I can be a bit parochial here and say that I actually think Victoria's done a fantastic job and you only have to look north of the Murray where we've seen nursing strikes and paramedics on strike and people, you know, services collapsing um, to show that I think we've done a, a comparatively a good job in Victoria. But why have we? Well, it's because we've been 
more willing to put in place restrictions. And I know that can be very controversial and there'll be people who have different views, but things like the Code Brown, we were the only state that did that. Um, and we were challenged at the time, why are you doing that when New South Wales isn't? Well, because we think it's the right thing to do. They don't. They have higher numbers. They have um, more difficulty with their healthcare workforce. You know, you can make up your own mind. I think the problem is that for two years, we have asked our healthcare workers to be, you know, in that, like I said, the code brown, usually that's at a couple of hours or a day, and it was weeks. We've asked people to be operating at close to that level for two years. It's not sustainable. You've got people who, I remember talking to one of our CEOs of one of our big major uh, Melbourne hospitals who said her and her whole executive team hadn't had a day off in seven months. And I'm talking no Saturdays, no Sundays, seven days a week, either on call, overnight, or in the hospital all the time. And if they're doing that, then so is everybody else. So you've got people who haven't taken a holiday. You know, the Code Brown, one of the things that was talked about in the media around Code Brown was that it allowed you to cancel people's leave. It didn't. It did not allow you to cancel people's leave, but it did allow people to ring up their, you know, nurses who, and doctors who were finally having a holiday after two years of not having one and say, would you mind coming back early because we really need your help? So, you know, and, and a lot of people, because healthcare workers are generally in it for the right reasons, a lot of people did. So you've got you've got an exhausted workforce. And we say exhausted when most people think about exhaustion, they think about, you know, having a really uh, uh, a long run of really difficult days at work and coming home and you've got family issues and, you know, maybe Christmas is exhausting. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that times a thousand. <laughs> Most people have not experienced the kind of exhaustion, the kind of stress that our healthcare workers have had. And because we have, and I include myself in that, I haven't experienced it either. I've just watched it happen to our members. Because we haven't experienced it, it's very difficult to understand what it's like. But we have to try because, you know, now we've got elective surgery waiting lists at 80 or 90,000, which is, you know, that might not mean anything to people listening, but that's double what it would have been in a bad month pre-COVID. So you've got people waiting for months and months and months for things that we used to be able to do in much quicker time. And, you know, they'll, we've got an election this year. The state election is in November. So there'll be all this pressure to get that to get that waiting list down. But the only way to do that is to push our healthcare workers even further. We can't do that because we need them to still be standing up when we are in a car crash, touch wood, or when we are diagnosed with some terrible illness or cancer, we need them to still be there. So it's it's really hard. It's been like, I can't exaggerate. I'm not, it, there's no way you can exaggerate how difficult it's been for our healthcare workers. It's been so terrible. But we're now at a point where they can take a bit of rest, where the numbers are coming down, where the hospitalizations are coming down. Um, and we need to make sure that they get that rest, or I'm very, very concerned about what will happen to our system. Yeah, we don't want to see what, as you said, what we're seeing in New South Wales with uh, nurses and, and ambos on strike for, for paying conditions, because, you know, there's a new Batman movie in the in the cinemas, but the, the real superheroes are the people who have been out there serving our community, uh, you know, for, like you said, for the right reasons. I don't think anyone goes into to something like nursing to become a millionaire, for example. No, well, if they do, they, they misread the ad. So, and, and you know, the, the thing about them being heroes is really important, but it's also really important that we understand our role in this. So I, you might remember that early in the pandemic in the UK, 
I can't remember what day it was every Friday or something, everybody would go out to the front of their houses and applaud the NHS. Because, you know, English people, you can tell from my accent, that's where I was born. English people love the NHS. Um, and so they went out and they applauded. And we did uh, an event in the middle of the pandemic with a senior leader from one of the health services in the UK, which is one of the wonderful things we can do now, isn't it, in COVID? We can actually talk to people anywhere in the world. That would have been frowned upon pre-COVID. Um, and I said, what do people in the health system think about that? applauding because we see it here and think oh that's nice and she said well it was nice to start with but we'd really rather everybody just followed the rules and kept us safe by not catching covid and not going out and ignoring the masks and not going out and um uh, going to pubs when actually the pubs are supposed to be shut we'd prefer them to do that and then they don't have to applaud for us so they're heroes but they cannot do it without us playing our part. And that looks very different now. Of course, mask rules have ended and thank goodness, because we all hate them. We know we do, but, but you know, we've still got to do the things that we have to do. If you've got the symptoms, stay at home, get your rat tests if you can find them um, and, and take one and to make sure that you haven't got COVID. Do the right thing. And in Victoria, I'd say largely we did through COVID. We actually did follow the rules and we did do the right thing. And we should be very proud of that. And, and that is the thing that kept our healthcare workers kind of standing up. It wasn't just that they are brilliant, which they are. It was because we did our bit too. And we need to continue to do that. That's that theme of community again, isn't it? All of us pulling together in one direction uh, is uh, is important, not just for you know, communities as a whole, but for people like like our our nurses and doctors and uh, and ambos, and even uh, I think people such as cleaners get overlooked as well for the role that yep. they played. Yeah, uh, they, they do. You know, they, well, they and, play, and and all the other healthcare workers. You know, we had dentists who couldn't do dental work because it was banned. We had dentists, particularly in our public services and our community services, helping with um, COVID related because they're they're medically trained, so they used their skills for other useful things. We've got um, allied health workers, we've got physios who were helping in emergency departments, we've got speech pathologists who had been helping with children and young people because they know how to talk to them. And you know, like, so it's just, uh, it, was, it was, everybody pulled together and did things that were way out of their comfort zone. And we should be very proud of them for that. Yeah, and I just hope that we can look back on that, this period of time that we're, we're currently living in and, look at it that way i mean yeah it was it was horrible no one liked being locked down like you said no one likes wearing masks i mean sometimes it's nice if you go to the supermarket and you don't really want to have a chat to anyone but yeah. otherwise otherwise no one really likes wearing the masks well the people on the podcast won't be able to tell but you and i both have beards and i can tell you um it's not nice in a hot day uh, wearing a mask with a beard but we did it because we had to it's a little price to pay it's a first world problem absolutely absolutely and look you know if, if wear a mask means you can you can go out and and live your life then i think you're right it's it's a small minor insignificance um compared to you know not being able to go out and, and do anything like we were in for various states of 2020 and 2021. Tom, before we uh, we finish up the podcast, is there anything you'd like to get out there that we haven't touched on that you'd like people listening maybe to to know about the VHA or about uh, some of your members that uh, that we can get across uh, to the listeners? Well, I, I'd just say that, that just remember when you go to Grampians Community Health or any other community health service or any of our other health services um, uh, it, that, we, that we provide here in Victoria, just remember that as I said earlier on, some of these things don't actually exist in other places. So don't take it for granted. 
you know, you think of an organization like Grampians Community Health that has been providing these, these services, these fantastic services in this very coordinated way to rural communities in uh, Western Victoria for decades. And you could easily think this is just my right. This is just the way it is. Well, it's not that because in other parts of Australia, in other parts of the world, this doesn't exist. Um, I'm uh, the, chair of the, the chair of the International Federation of Community Health Centres. I'm very proud of that. Uh, and there are only three members and they are Australia, Canada and the United States. Now, there are other places that have community health, but lots of places don't have community health at all. It, it blows my mind that we in Victoria are one of the strongest community health sectors in the world. So when you turn up to Grampians Community Health and maybe, you know, your appointment might be cancelled or um, someone doesn't give you the answer you want or uh, just remember that you're very lucky to have it <laughs> and it will only continue to be strong if you continue to support it. And I know you will because you, you think it does a great job, too. But just remember that that don't take it for granted. We we are we are in a unique position in Victoria because of the way we deliver healthcare. Very locally, again in other states, you might have to travel three hours to get the kind of care you can get in stall or Ararat right on your doorstep. Um, so we should be very grateful for that, and we should never take it for granted because it might feel like it's our right, but it wouldn't be necessarily if we lived somewhere else. Well said. Um, couldn't agree more. Tom, I really appreciate you giving up some time to have a chat uh, to me on the podcast this week. Thank you very much and keep up the good work with the VHA. Thank you very much, Kath. It's been great. Once again, a big thank you to Tom Simonson for joining me on this week's Community Is Our Middle Name podcast, taking some time out from his very busy schedule as CEO of the Victorian Healthcare Association. Tom, I really appreciate you stopping and having a bit of a chat to me about uh, all things healthcare related. And I hope people really enjoyed the conversation because I really enjoyed talking to Tom and finding out a lot of this sort of stuff and, and just hearing from the VHA's perspective how they think the last few years have gone. Of course, this podcast is the Community is a Middle Name podcast, and it's brought to you by Grampians Community Health. We do operate right across Western Victoria, across the Grampians, across uh, the Central Goldfields, across the Wimmera, from Maribara right across to the border almost. We have a wide range where we cover, and we also offer a wide range of services. For more information about what we do offer, head to our website, which is gch.org.au, or give us a call Monday to Friday, 53 587400 and we have offices in Stall, Horsham and Ararat that you can drop in and visit on Monday to Friday between business hours. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Podbean, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio. Subscribe and you'll, and you'll never miss an episode. And if you want to jump on Apple Podcasts, if that is your podcast site that you, you're, you're one of preference that you like to use, Give us a rating and it does help people find us. And if you want to say something nice about the guests, that would be fantastic. You can also follow Grampians Community Health on social media. So facebook.com slash Grampians Community Health or on Twitter and Instagram at GCH Grampians. That's the handle for both of those. 
This podcast was recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Jab Wurrung people and like to pay our respects to all elders past, present and emerging. The intro, outro music is by Andrew Parsons. That's an original composition that we use with his permission and we'd like to thank him very much for that. So thank you once again, Parso. Special thank you as well this month to Vanush Morawaka, who helped me out with some, having some technical difficulties. Uh, Vanush, I know he does listen to the podcast as well. So Vanush, thank you, mate. You are, as the French say, le champion. You did a fantastic job. So thank you very much, mate. I really appreciate your help with some of the technical troubles I was having with this podcast. Of course, this podcast, the Communities Admin Renamed Podcast, is brought to you by Grampians Community Health for you, your family, and of course, for our community. My name is Gareth Oliver, guys. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast and I'll be back again very shortly with another episode. So until then, so long. Thank mm-hmm. you.